we get to Ruth 2, um, I want to read you guys a little, uh, a little piece of a hymn from a guy named uh, William Cowper. Uh, he was a, uh, a Christian hymn writer in the 1700s, friend of John Newton, and he coined that famous phrase, uh, God works in mysterious ways. And uh, like Ruth and Naomi, he had a lot of experience with difficulty. He suffered from horrible depression that lasted his entire life, even after he went, came to Christ. Um, so he knows what it's like to struggle. But hear, uh, hear what he writes of uh, God's ways in all of life. Three sets. Oh, just, just you know, he uses the image of a, uh, a thunderstorm to talk about bad things that happen to us. Two, three sets. You fearful saints, fresh courage take the clouds. You so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. So last week uh, we saw, or two weeks ago, we saw the frowning providence of God. Death of your loved one. Two widows returning home with nothing. And uh, at the end, so bad, Naomi says to her new townspeople, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. <laughs> she sees her whole life and says, God has dealt bitterly with me. She only sees the frowning providence, the dark clouds. But in Ruth 2, uh, what we're going to see uh, is the smiling face of God behind all that. We're going to see these clouds that God has brought into their lives are about to break with mercy. God is about to start making the bitter things sweet. There's a lot here. Uh, but we're in Ruth 2. Ruth is going to meet Boaz, and we're going to see God's goodness in this. So here we go. Ruth 2. Read the whole passage. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, Go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she, Ruth, fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, 
I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and, passed, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some, some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epa of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law said what she had gleaned, saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Decide, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men till they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept, kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this story. Um, thanks for your kindness in the random happenings of our lives. I just pray that as we uh, study this text this morning, that you would speak and that you would minister to us in Jesus' name. So from a... Uh, a human perspective, uh, my college career is a little bit confounding. Uh, my alma mater is College of Charleston. It was number seven on my list of colleges that I wanted to go to. It happened to also be last. Um, but I had this dream growing up to play college baseball, and I was a, uh, a senior in high school, a uh, baseball player with zero college offers, like not even like Division II schools. And I walk up to a coach at a College of Charleston baseball camp, and within about 10 minutes, he offers me a spot on the team, which made no sense to me at the time, but it was a Division I school that had just gone to the semifinals of the College World Series, and I said, okay, here we go. Like, I'm going, you know? Um, I arrived as a pre-med major, um, living the dream. A year and a half later, I had already changed majors twice, had a career-ending injury, which would mean that I would never actually play in a college baseball game. And uh, at the same time of my injury, this girl I really liked broke up with me, and uh, basically that led me to spend a year in this vicious cycle of depression and anxiety. I get through that and graduate, and now I have this uh, ridiculous double major in business administration in English, and I'm working as a church janitor with no idea what I wanted to do, no jobs in sight, no, no signs in the sky of God's will for me. Um, and through this uh, very meandering journey of mine, I was left in the dark about what God was up to. He did not tell me why he would bring me to a college to play baseball, only to have never actually 
played baseball. He did not tell me um, when I was so depressed that I could not get out of bed and go to class and function like a human being. He did not tell me what he was doing. Um, all I really had to figure out why was the decisions I made and the circumstances. I made decisions, good and bad. Things happened to me, good and bad. Um, and it didn't feel like God was a part of those things, especially not in the hard parts. And for most of us, that's, that's life, right? If you, if you could plan out the last 15 years of your life, would you plan them the way they went? Could you imagine that you would be here in your present circumstances? Probably not. And when you're trying to think about why, a lot of the whys don't make sense. And all you really have are the decisions you made, good and bad, and the things that happened to you, good and bad. It doesn't feel necessarily like God is guiding you when you're in the middle of stuff you don't understand. As Isaiah 45:15 puts it, sometimes it feels like God is indeed a God who hides himself, who hides his purposes. So what's he up to in all of this? Can we, uh, can we say with confidence that there is meaning in our circumstances? Is that just life, right? Or is there something more significant? In Ruth 2, we're going to see something that is uh, pretty astounding and comforting, and that is that in every circumstance, in every decision we make, in everything that happens to us, God is leading us to experience his kindness and mercy. We'll, uh, we'll get there, but this, in this incredible truth, uh, it unfolds for us as a story uh, in three sections. We'll start with a perfect coincidence in verses 1 to 3. We'll see a Redeemer's kindness in verses 4 to 17, and a widow's thankfulness in verses 18 to 23. So let's see the perfect coincidence in Ruth, Ruth 1 through 3. Ruth makes a plan, and she ends up meeting her future husband who is going to radically change her life circumstances. So uh, typically, just so you guys know, uh, when you read a narrative in Scripture, what normally happens is it will start with a change of setting, or some background information. And what will be very tempting will be to just skip that because we don't like to pay attention to things like that. We want action, okay? Uh, but the background here in Ruth 2 is very important. Uh, we see in verse 2, Naomi has a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the intellect. His name was Boaz. That makes no sense to us, but someone in 12th century B.C. would realize that this person who is a relative of Naomi's and a worthy man could literally solve all of Naomi and Ruth's problems. Being a relative, he could redeem Naomi's property. Being a relative, he could marry Ruth and give her children who would carry on the family name. Uh, and being a worthy man, he could do this, all, this, all, all these things rightfully. He could provide for them. So there's this guy out there that Ruth hasn't met yet, all right, that she has no idea about, who literally is like a double bonus husband. All right? he, he can just fix all their problems. Okay? And she has no idea of this yet, but the narrator wants us to know this is where the passage is going. All right? And uh, Ruth the Moabite, that'll come up many times in this passage, she says to Naomi, uh, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. So Ruth has a plan, and that plan is to not starve. You guys notice that. Again, Ruth and Naomi are widows. They have no income. They don't have a farm. They don't anybody work in their farm. They, they have no food. So Ruth's plan today is I'm going to go get us some food. And I'm going to do that by gleaning. And now gleaning is a... 
Again, something we don't understand. But in the Old Testament, uh, the law provided, it commanded uh, farmers, which was almost everyone, to leave the corners and edges of their fields unharvested. So you farm the center, get all your grain out, but you leave the corners and edges so that poor people and widows could glean. They could kind of semi-harvest. I think a modern-day parallel would be letting poor people take the last 5% of your pantry items. You know, we're not farmers, but but think about everything in your pantry is about to expire in in less than a month, okay, for less than a year. You give to poor people. That's the idea here. You take a percentage of what you would have and you leave it unharvested for the poor. And so Ruth's plan is to glean, and her plan is to glean in the field in whose sight I shall find favor. Notice that. She realizes that she's desperate and that somebody has to show her favor. Remember, we're in the time of the judges here. If you weren't here last week, the time of the judges was a rough time, but there's no, there's no government enforcing the Deuteronomic laws. There's no community that's going to make you leave your, your the edges of your field unharvested. Like, she could get kicked out pretty easy. She has to find favor. That's her plan. And her plan just so happens in verse 3. Her plan to survive and to not die and to just get a little bit of grain. Her plan happens to lead her to... Boaz. Look at verse 3. She's gleaning. Halfway through the verse it says she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. This, this, this word in Hebrew uh, just means by chance or by accident or by coincidence. Ruth turns right instead of left. We don't know why. But she happens upon the field of Boaz. The double bonus husband who can solve all of her problems. And I think that, uh, that little word there is there intentionally. I think the narrator is very clearly saying that this seemed like a random coincidence, but it's not. God is directing Ruth's steps. Even if her steps are just, I'm going to glean to survive, God is leading her to the person who's going to redeem her life. Um, so, so far in this section, we have God is beginning in very quiet ways through seemingly random circumstances, through very regular decisions. He's beginning to make the bitter things sweet. He's beginning to bless these two women. So how do we uh, how do we apply this to our lives? We have a random, perfect coincidence that just so happens to work out. I think in general, first, uh, we have to trust that even if we don't see things working out like this in our lives, even if our you know, next work that doesn't leave us to the, the person of our dreams, okay, that God is always, in every circumstance, God is always leading us to a place of blessing. That e- even if your past decisions were stupid, even if you made some dumb decisions, you are providentially in a place where God is now, he's going to take those things and work them for good. He, he, he is leading you to a place of blessing. And you, what this text requires is for you to embrace that by faith. Right? But by trusting in something you can't see, by, by, by seeking to place your faith in circumstances that you don't know the answer to yet. Um, and notice that this trust in God's goodness and this trust and dependence upon him for Ruth does not look like inaction, right? It looks like planning and action. 
right? The plot of this book is not Ruth and Naomi were desperate and they were depending upon God, so they were sitting back one day in their house, chatting it up, complaining about how bad everything was, and in walks Boaz, and he says, hey, I'm going to marry you. It's going to be great, right? That does not happen. That's not how the plot of this book goes. She steps out. She acts. She sees her need. She, she tries. And we'll see this more in Ruth 3. Even, we'll make a, a bold plan for Ruth to marry, to marry Boaz. But notice, God provides for Ruth through her actions. He's working through her decisions. So just, so, so practically, if this means that personal sin in your life, right, has wrecked your past, and you're dealing with the baggage of that today, and you're struggling with it, all right? That means, in one sense, right now, you can rest that God has you exactly where he wants, that he, that he is going to use that for good, but also, you need to repent, right? You don't live in sin so that grace will abound. You, you can have stuff in your past that's messed with you and say, okay, you know what? I don't know how, but God's going to work this for good. But right now, presently, you act. You put it to death. Maybe somebody's really hurt you, and you're bitter about it, and you can't get over it. But listen, say, man, God is sovereign over my past. He's sovereign over the fact that when I think of this person, my blood boils. But you act. You put your bitterness to death. You get counseling. You learn to forgive them. Took a job in Charleston, thinking it'd be great but it is so bad on your lifestyle that you feel like you can't, you don't have time for friends or anything. Hey, God's sovereign over that, but it's okay to look for a new job, right? Like, it's okay to embrace where God has you, but act to better your circumstances. That's good. So, there's nothing random. There's no coincidences. God is working, but he's working through our decisions. So, in this perfect coincidence, God is beginning to provide for Ruth. But what, what exactly is he doing? What exactly does God do for Ruth through these circumstances and her decisions? He is leading her to the kindness of a man who will be her redeemer. Uh, verses 4 through 17, the, or 16, the focus is all about Boaz and about how kind and righteous he is. Look at verse 4. Again, a verse almost everyone here reading by yourself would just be skipped, okay? Behold, Boaz comes from Bethlehem, and he says to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. What is going on there? Why is that there? Well, we're in the time of the judges. There weren't a lot of people saying the Lord bless you in the time of the judges. Most of them were saying, Molech bless you. You know, they were worshiping foreign gods. Boaz is a righteous man. He fears God. But his, his, uh, his worship of God is not just... Uh, Words He acts in mercy to someone who he easily could have rejected. Notice he shows up in verses 5 and 6, and he, the reapers tell him in verse 6 that Ruth is a young Moabite woman who is from Moab. Notice how they're, uh, they repeat over and over again, she's a foreigner. Uh, again, some cultural background here. Um, Moabs were enemies of Israel. They were, they were, they, they were at war with Israel throughout history. Uh, Moabs were excluded from the assembly of Israel for ten generations. A lot of bad blood there. And uh, Ruth, on top of being a foreigner, she's a foreigner who's eating Boaz's food. Okay, think about that. Um, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot here. Um, again, uh, I, I avoid politics generally when I talk, but our country's in the middle of a, an immigration crisis. 
and I have no solution, it's complex, okay? However, uh, the reason why the conversation is so heated is because human nature has a problem with people we don't know, with foreigners who don't look like us messing with our stuff. It's a human thing. Uh, and you guys, even if uh, it doesn't come across in racial or ethnic ways for you, when your roommate eats your food or wears your clothes or borrows your car without asking, get out of my stuff, right? And all that's going on here. And all, the, all of a sudden, Boaz could have easily said, Ruth, get out. Get out of my field. Um, Ruth also is defenseless here. Uh, notice uh, 12 times in this passage, the word glean is used. Gleaning is something reserved only for the most desperate people. Also, twice, twice there are references to Ruth being attacked and raped in the field. Verse 9, Boaz says, I've charged the men not to touch you. In verse 22, Naomi says, you might get assaulted somewhere else. She's helpless. She lives in a dangerous time. Boaz could have easily turned her away, but he shows her unbelievable mercy and generosity. Verses 8 through 10, uh, show Boaz fulfilling the requirements of the law, allowing her to reap, even letting her eat and drink. Um, verse 10, Ruth's response is, wow, this is incredible since I'm a foreigner. And then Boaz says this to her. This is verse 11 and 12. All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in native land and came to a people you not, did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What Boaz sees when he looks at Ruth is not a foreign person stealing my stuff, but someone with character, and someone who's entrusted herself to God, and he treats her as such. And in verses 14 to 16, he goes way beyond the requirements of the law. Remember, Deuteronomy's law was basically don't beat back and oppress the poor person. Let them have some food. Boaz lets her eat with the reapers. Um, and end of verse 14, says she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. Now, that might be your experience every time you eat, right, in America. But for Ruth, it, it's mentioned twice. It might be the first time it happened to her in months. Fine, but Boaz, just, he just rolls the red carpet out for this random foreigner. So uh, Boaz is shown to be merciful, righteous, kind. He welcomes an enemy, a foreigner. He lets her eat at his table. So uh, just bring the two sections together for a second. This chapter begins with Ruth saying, I hope we don't die. I'm going to go get some grain. And God providentially leads her through her decision to a happenstance where she meets Boaz who not only helps her not die by letting her glean, but gives her way more than she needs and provides a meal for her and treats her like royalty. And we find out in verse 20, uh, not only, sorry, uh, yeah, verse, in verse 20, not only uh, is Boaz nice, he's also a redeemer, a potential man who could radically change their lives, marry Ruth, give them an inheritance, all those kind of things. So God, through a random coincidence and a choice, is leading Ruth, and Naomi to a wonderful place of blessing. So uh, how do we apply this? Um, unfortunately, the application is not girls get gleaning and you'll find Boaz, okay? It's not boys, be merciful like Boaz and you'll find Ruth, okay? Uh, we wish, right? No. Um, when we read passages like this, 
And we see God dealing so kindly through circumstances. Uh, it is very important to say two things. First, yes, God absolutely deals kindly to us through our circumstances. But, but second, uh, that if we look through the whole scriptures and we look particular at the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got to think carefully. Um, let me try to give an example. Uh, who here has ever been hungry and walked in a house or a restaurant where you could smell the food? Okay? There's something about hunger that just makes it smell like 10 times better, right? But notice, um, smelling something uh, gives you just a faint hint of what it's going to taste like. Maybe you've been surprised at how something doesn't taste as good as it smells or whatever. But, uh, but, but, but smell is something uh, it's kind of effervescent. It's, it's, it's fleeting. It's just a, just a taste of it. It's not, not the real substance. Um, and I'll just say, uh, in the Old Testament, um, Hebrew says we get shadows and types. I'll say we get smells of Jesus. We, we see Boaz, and I think the Lord intends for us to smell Christ. The meal is still cooking in the Old Testament. Um, and so when we, when we see Boaz and he acts completely righteously, he appears even to be without sin, though we know he's not, right? He's merciful, he's just, he fears God, he shows mercy to a foreigner, he welcomes her at his table. That looks like Jesus, right? When we, when we see a man who, who takes someone who knows that she's dependent upon grace, and we see him not, not, just, not just provide for her, but welcome her into his fellowship, welcome her into his presence. That, that should remind us of the Lord's Supper, right? The Lord, the Lord Christ does that to us, you know? We, 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 are, we were his enemies. He welcomes us at his table. So with that in mind, how do, we, uh, how do we apply this text of God taking circumstances and leading them to the kindness and mercy of a Redeemer? I think we can say this, that God... In all of our plans, in all of our circumstances, in the randomest things, the most pleasant things, the most painful things, God, in everything that's going on, he is leading us to experience the kindness of Jesus. That is the, per- that is the meaning of your circumstances. Wherever you are right now, a brutal job, a season of singleness you don't get, that's what God is doing. You experiencing the kindness and mercy of Jesus. And of course, sometimes that kindness and mercy of Jesus comes through real people in good circumstances. Guys, when you have friends who love you and walk with you faithfully, God is showing to you his kindness and mercy. You wake up tomorrow and you meet your future spouse and things just get arranged and somehow it works out that you actually like each other and don't miscommunicate, whatever, okay? And that all just falls together. God is showing you his wisdom and kindness. And when you get married, he'll show you his kindness in someone being faithful to you when they see all of your junk. Right? Or maybe you wake up tomorrow and you get an email and you get this job offer that, man, you're just like, this is perfect. You didn't even know you wanted it, you know? And things just fall in place and you have this great career. Sometimes God does that. He shows us the kindness of Jesus in really sunny circumstances. But we can't just say that, right? If, if, we, if we believe that God only shows us his kindness when we get really cool providential things that turn out really nicely for us, first of all, we're not, we're not seeing the gospel here, right? And second, uh, we're setting ourselves up for great disappointment and failure. I would say more often, more often what God is up to is he is taking our circumstances 
and he is using them to show us the, the supremacy of Jesus as the satisfaction of our souls. He uses our lives, the decisions we make, the poor ones, the good ones, the, the work circumstances, the relational circumstances we see, and he's taking them and using them to bring us to experience the mercy and kindness and goodness and wonder that Jesus welcomes us into his fellowship. That's what he's up to. That is the purpose of your pain right now. That's the purpose of your work, your hobbies, your friendships. That's what God's doing. So what's really cool about that, guys, um, is that you, in whatever happens to your life, whether dreams come true or they get crushed, it's all good. A Christian is the only person in the world who can say over what happens to them, even the suffering, even the pain, even the things we don't like, it's good. God takes it, as Romans 8 says, he works it together for our good, either in the circumstances we like, dreams come true, etc., or in conformity to Christ. It's either you get what is nice and good now, or you get what is best forever. You can't lose. Understand, even if your worst fears come true, God is going to take that and he's going to use it for your eternal glory. So I'd encourage you guys, um, seek God's favor and his kindness. Recognize you are not worthy to have these good things happen to you. And you will find yourself overwhelmed like Ruth was. So God takes circumstances. He leads us to the Redeemer's kindness. In this last little scene, uh, in 17 to 22, 23, uh, Ruth returns to Naomi, and she shows her how great everything is gone. Um, she comes with this giant bundle of grain and some leftover from her lunch. And Naomi eats, and Naomi's satisfied, too. It's great. Uh, Naomi asks her, uh, in verse uh, 19, where do you glean? We learn it's Boaz. And in verse 20, uh, Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. See, see the widow's thankfulness here. Just notice... Um, Commentators say two things about uh, this statement. Look back to chapter 1, verse 20. This is Naomi, maybe, maybe a week before, okay? Maybe a couple days before. She says, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And all of a sudden, you guys, if you're going to say like that, something like that in public, can you imagine... Like, you're in a group of friends, you've got 10 people around and hanging out. How you doing? I'm bitter. That's how I am. Okay, that's, that's some really deep-seated stuff going on. All right, that's been in her heart for a while. And she has good reason to, if you read Ruth 1. But notice, Ruth walks in with a bundle of grain. Maybe, maybe two weeks' worth of food is what a, the uh, epa of barley is in verse 17, okay? Two weeks' worth of food. And all of a sudden, we're going from saying, God's been bitter to me to saying, oh my goodness, how God has blessed me. But, but she's still a widow, right? The Ruth Boaz thing hasn't worked out yet. She's not sure things are going to work out. What, what, if, what if Ruth goes tomorrow and Boaz is tired of her, right? The future's not secure yet, right? She hasn't gotten her dream yet, but, but one bundle of grain, and we're blessing Jesus. We're blessed God. That's interesting, right? 
um, she sees a tiny blessing. And she sees a great God starting to show his favor, starting to make the bitter things sweet. I think we can learn two things from this uh, thankful response to such a seemingly small blessing. And first, the truth about us, um, our discontentment with our lives, our grumpiness about our circumstances, are not chiefly a result of our circumstances. You have it better than Naomi. I'm almost certain of that. Right? Um, what, what is... What we have done, the reason we're so discontent and grumpy about our life is because we approach God with a list of demands about what better happened to us. We have these little, uh, we have our dreams, okay, and they're like, they're like jewels in our hands. They're really precious to us, but we're squeezing them, right? We're clenching onto them, and they're making our hands bleed, right? The reason we're struggling with joy is because we have plans for our lives, and we want them to happen, and when they're not happening, we get angry about it. And guys, you you can't find joy in Jesus like that. You can't be thankful for daily provision like that. We're so focused on what God might give us tomorrow, we can't enjoy what God has already given us today. And that's the human heart. That's where a lot of us live. Um, but I think, I think Naomi's response show us, shows us the way out of that trap. Um, I think she shows us a, a really big secret. And that is, how do you get to a place when you still have dreams that haven't come true yet, and you still don't know the future, and you still have questions about why, still be thankful and enjoy the Lord. And I think uh, Naomi is focused on the present provision of God. That's the pathway. It is a focus on the present blessing and provision of God. I will quote a great, uh, a great guru from the movie Kung Fu Panda. Okay, all right. This is uh, Master Ugwe the Turtle. He says, and this is—I'm sure, I'm sure he stole this quote from somewhere anonymous. But he says, "Yesterday is history, tomorrow's a mystery, but today is a gift." That's why it's called present. Sorry, so corny, okay? But so true, guys. The stuff that's happened to you—it's history. You can't control it, even if it's drastically affected your life. Dwelling on it is not going to help you. You know, what, you know what bitterness and unforgiveness is? It's drinking poison and hoping someone else will die. That's what it is. You cannot change the past. You can learn from it, right? You can, you can, you have to embrace that God's brought you to where you are for a purpose. The future is a mystery. James 4 says you may not even live tomorrow, right? Focusing on that is not helpful. Focusing on when are my dreams going to come true is not helpful. It's going to suck your joy. But today, in the present, that is, where, that is where the grace and the blessing of Jesus lives. Now. Again, where does Ruth find blessing? She seeks favor in her present circumstances. She looks for life in her present circumstances. That if you let go of the dreams you have for your life, still work at them, still, still make plans for them, still act, okay? But you simply, you embrace and you seek out the favor and the provision of Jesus today. You will find it. You'll find yourself thankful. You'll find yourself full of the Spirit. 
let's get specific, okay? Let's just talk about a few, a few things, all right? If you're struggling with your singleness, all right? And that's, a, that's an issue, and, that's, and it's hard, okay? I don't want to under, underestimate that. That's difficult. But if you're struggling with your singleness, what it looks like is for you to seek today, today, seek to have Jesus satisfy your heart. Seek fellowship and companionship among God's people. Enjoy that. And seek to enjoy the blessings that come in the single season of life. The freedom to go home and take a nap whenever you want to. Stuff like that. Okay? Enjoy the simple things. You have a job you hate. Right? Seek with all your heart to see Jesus provide for you in your job. Don't rage against him that you're working all these long weeks or that your boss is mean or whatever. Seek his favor. If you're in a trial of some kind, you're not going to find the grace of Jesus in escaping from your trial. You're going to find it in the middle of your trial. And as you do that, as you live in the present, and you put one foot in front of the other, and you seek God's favor today, one day, you will be able to look back and see how the pieces fit together. Might be a long time from now. That'll happen. Uh, my college career uh, makes a lot more sense in hindsight. My number seven college choice, which I only went to and to play baseball and didn't choose to play baseball, uh, was had one of the few teams in the entire country that had a couple of Christians on it who were really serious about evangelism. One of whom uh, went home every night get his homework, which is hilarious, okay, uh, got his Bible out and prayed for me by name my entire freshman year. Um, God used my unregenerate desire for glory on the baseball field to give me Christ. Having my uh, career-ending injury, getting cut from the team in my junior year, gave me time to lead a high school discipleship group and a joint community group, two things that would eventually convince me that God was calling me to ministry. The girl who broke up with me happened to introduce me to my wife. And they are still best friends, which isn't awkward anymore, finally. Um, okay? Now, I'll say, I'll, say, I'll say right now, I have things in my present that I don't understand. I have some little teeny dark clouds, if you will, from William, William's poem, okay? I don't get them, but I've seen the ones in the past break with blessings, right? That give me faith to embrace what I have now. And listen, if you walk with Jesus, if you seek his favor, you will see his mercy. Do so today. Let's pray. Thank you that even though much of our lives involve mystery about what you're doing, of all people in the world, we can say that you're good. And we have the scriptures, and we have testimony of your people, and we have um, heaven before us, and we can say that whatever happens... You're good. Give us courage in light of that, Lord. Give us strength uh, to deal with our circumstances and our trials. Uh, Help us to embrace you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.